Well, good morning, and what a, I love our times of worship, and um, we can really just uh, focus our hearts on God uh, in song, uh, and the content of the song, uh, and then in baptism today. You know, what a, what a beautiful picture of what God's doing in the hearts of people uh, of different ages uh, in the midst of our, uh, of our church. We've been walking through a series over the last uh, bit uh, around worldview, and uh, we've called it lenses, the way we see reality. So you, if this is your first time here, then you're just kind of getting in on it. It'll be easy to catch up. Uh, but what we're trying to do is just show the, uh, what it looks like to see through God's lens uh, and through the scriptures uh, at really all of life. Uh, every every aspect of life, uh, and we know statistically today uh, that in the church, that one out of ten Christians actually hold to and live out uh, a biblical worldview, meaning they believe the Bible through and through and live out what what God says in His Word. Uh, what what that would mean for us. Today and I've I realize if you're online I'm headed into the dark and if you're on that side I'm in the dark also. But let's just say there's 500 people in the room. That would mean 50 people are actually living out uh, a biblical worldview of of what it means to know God, know God's word, and follow that that truth. So that'd be about 50 people. That probably gets us about to the middle of this section and up. So it's great news for you because you hold the, the biblical worldview and bummer for everybody else in the room. But, but that's, it's in the church. Like This isn't like in our culture as a whole that we look at it and say, oh, wow, only one out of ten people that we run into anywhere uh, hold a biblical worldview. No, in the church, people who say they're Christian this is how many actually live out what it means in that reality. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons that we've been spending our time uh, on this, because I think it's crucial to understand uh, what, what is God's lens uh, in the way that we see, that we see things. Um, today, we're going to talk about sexuality and gender. Uh, and just a few things I want to say before we... Uh, take a look at, at that, that topic. One, uh, probably for a good portion of people today, uh, there is a lot of pain uh, that's tied uh, to, this, uh, to this topic, to sexuality and to gender. Uh, it might be personal uh, to you, something that's happened to you, something that you've done, um, could be somebody you're related to, uh, but there, there is a lot of pain uh, and hurt uh, with people. There's a lot of pain and hurt with the way it's talked about uh, and with what people understand uh, about it, different viewpoints. Uh, and so I, I just, I want you to know I, I hurt for our church and I'm sorry for where there is that much pain. Uh, for different people, depending on what your experience is. Um, and I also know that God offers a grace and a, and a hope, uh, wherever that pain and hurt is. 
The challenge with talking about something like this today, and I've, I've found it as I've immersed myself in conversation and podcasts and books and so forth, even more so this week, uh, is just the, the wide variety of views uh, on the things we'll speak of. Um, and then the judgmental kind of aspect of it. So I'm, I'm, I know today that, that there will be people in the room and online that will see me as judgmental uh, in, in some of the things that I say. That, that's not my intention at all. And uh, I think that uh, it's important that we have a load of grace uh, and that we also hold uh, to the truth uh, of what God's design is. And, uh, and so we want to have a compassion uh, with each other, uh, a grace toward each other as we figure things out in how we do things, um, and, and that we also anchor ourselves well uh, to the truths of Scripture uh, and to what God's design is. I know there are people here today that, that this, is what ha- this is what I've seen anecdotally over time. We hold a particular view from Scripture on sexuality and gender until someone in our family comes out and says they're gay, or until we have a child that's struggling with uh, their sexual identity, and uh, they, they, they don't know if they're trans or not. They're uncomfortable in their biological body. Uh, and, and then it seems like we let go of what Scripture says, and start embracing a different idea uh, around uh, these these things. So I, I'm I'm very aware of that and cognizant of that. Um, and I I would hope today <clears throat> that we can be encouraged in the Scripture, uh, strengthened in a way that we can love well and walk well with people, uh, while at the same time uh, speaking truth that will actually bring freedom. Uh, to people, the freedom that they're that they're after. So that that that's my hope uh, as we as we spend this time. Uh, I have uh, spent time this week listening to podcasts on singleness, podcasts on parents and how to help parents of young children talk about sexuality and gender. Uh, I've listened to interviews of uh, people that were uh, gay and then Christ got hold of their lives and. Um, and that's no longer the way that they uh, identify themselves. They might still struggle with same-sex attraction, uh, but they would no longer identify themselves as gay. Um, I've been in correspondence with people that have detransitioned, detransitioned from, uh, from being transgender, and now they've detransitioned, um, and with uh, just an, a number of, of other people uh, in conversation, uh, just to, and I've listened to things that are different than the way I think. I, I wanted to look and see how are people portraying me, uh, not not me personally, but as a Christian and as a pastor. Um, and it's it's not attractive, candidly, the way I'm viewed. Uh, um, but it's good to know, uh, and it's interesting because I think uh, whatever ilk someone is uh, in these topics. Uh, they're having the same kind of conversations perhaps that we are, uh, just from a different perspective. Um, one, one article I read, uh, they're trying to, parents have decided they're going to raise their children 
in a way that uh, they're non-binary. They don't. They won't have the, a gender ever assigned to them. Uh, and then they'll let them just later decide uh, what that is. And I found it interesting because they're choosing television shows and movies that are diverse and that are non-binary because they don't want their children exposed to other ideas. Now, is that any different than as a Christian, we're trying to decide what do we want to expose our children, depending on your view right now. Are, are you trying to decide which shows you're going to... It's just, we're kind of all doing the same thing, uh, except from a different worldview in the way that we, that we view it. Uh, and so what I hope to cheer us on today from God's Word uh, is a, uh, maybe it's an encouragement to those who are walking in this worldview uh, that is God's, and then maybe we learn something different if it's not the view you've been walking in. And, and if you've drifted some off of it, maybe we can re-anchor today. Uh, in it. And then I hope it stirs great conversation. If we can't be a safe haven for conversation and hard conversation, um, then we're, we're missing on what needs to happen. And here is our reality. Most of us have no idea what the other person thinks about these different issues on sexuality and gender. Some husbands and wives have no idea what their spouse really thinks about these issues. Some children have no idea what their parents really think and why they think that way. Some life groups have no idea what the views are that are sitting in their group. Could could we be willing to be a little uncomfortable, a little awkward, and get the real stuff on the table? And then can we in a really healthy way as Christians, look to the scripture and anchor ourselves well in God's truth for those conversations. That's my hope. If you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, I've titled the message uh, Holy Sexuality, and I took it right off of Christopher Yuan's book uh, called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Uh, I love what he has done uh, and the things that he's written and the way he's done it. Uh, and I'll, I'll mention that resource uh, a few times uh, in, in the message, but I, I just like what he's done. We've been talking about a grid on worldview uh, and a way to think, and, and everybody does not love grids like I'm doing. I totally get that, but the substance and the content of what we're talking about, it's biblical, it's what God says, it's from beginning to end. All we're trying to do is, is show a way that we can think biblically and theologically about any topic. And we can run it through this grid of God's big story, this narrative, um, any topic. And so that's what we're trying to teach, is how we can do that. But you may have other ways that you want to do it, so go for it. We're just trying to give you a way to think about So we've shown this funnel, these questions, these help us understand worldview. If you answer these questions or someone else does, it'll help you understand what someone's worldview is. It'll help you understand your own. Uh, And then on the other side is God's story. And this helps us understand as a Christian uh, what God's lens is and what a biblical worldview would be so that we could increase the number of 50 over there to maybe a whole room. I, I'm optimistic. I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. That gets me in trouble. Uh, and it can be a good thing. It's a good thing if we're all in on this worldview. Uh, and so that would be my hope. Uh, but at a minimum that we can walk out of here and have really uh, solid dialogue about 
about it. So when we think about who God is, uh, now we've said again and again, definitions matter. Definitions are changing in our culture, and when we're having a conversation, uh, I may be saying one thing, and I think, and this is what it means, but you're hearing it, the same word, and it means something different to you. The word God is actually one of those things that, depending on who you're talking to, we don't know what they're hearing you say or hearing me say. I don't know what you're, some of you, I don't know what you hear me say when I say God today, but, but I want to at least give you a, a shot at what I'm saying, and that when I'm talking about God, I'm talking about the God of the Bible who's made himself known in the scriptures. He's revealed himself in creation, and he's made himself known in his word. And what we know about God is that he is a sovereign God, meaning that he's the ruler, he's in charge. Uh, As one person who part of their story of coming to Christ was they were a gamer, uh, an online gamer, uh, and they're the game master. And if you want to play online on this game with the game master, he makes the rules. And if you don't want to play by the rules, then you don't play the game. And he realized that God's the same. He's the one that sets the rules. He's the one that has the design for the game. And so God is sovereign in who he is. He's in control of all that is. And God is holy. He's pure. He's unmixed with any evil in himself. And God is unchanging. His purposes, his ways, they don't shift with different cultures, different periods of time. He's unchanging, and he is true. We can know truth today, and then God is love. And that's another one important one today to define from what our culture says. It's not love is love. It's not love is just acceptance of everything. Love, by biblical definition, is a self-giving. It gives itself away. It sacrifices for the benefit of another. So when we talk about love, that's what we're speaking of. Why does it matter what the attributes or character of God is? Because his design flows out of who he is. Character matters because what we do comes out of who we are. And this is who God is, and we can trust him for his design. And so God is the center. That's the lens we're thinking about and looking through. And then God created in the first part of the Bible, so that first circle at the top that we're connected to is God connected to his creation. And in creation, this is what happened. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, there are a number of things that took place. This is towards the end of his creative work uh, on day six. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in this perfect environment, in God's design of creation, he created you and me and every person in the world from all time in the image of God. We are the only part of God's creation made in his image. Whatever that means, we know that who we are in our bodies, our minds, our thinking, our desires, our emotions, all of it has been created in a unique way in the image of God. In the image of God, then, he also created us male and female. And as Christopher Yuan, he, he doesn't like all the social constructs of the day. 
And a social construct is when we come up with what we believe something is. And we're setting the pace rather than letting God determine what things are. And gender would be a social construct. Uh, And yet the biblical framework is simply male and female. And that's the way God created in his image, male and female. This is his good design. Uh, And he matched biblical or biological sex with what would today be called gender. Those two match in God's design. He created us male and female, equal in value, equal in dignity, and then God has given different roles uh, to men and to women. Uh, So he created us in his image. For that reason, every person, regardless of if they're gay, if they're an adulterer, if they're a fornicator, and I'll explain that word in a few minutes, whether they're any of those particular descriptors, they're a person to be treated with value. Every person created with dignity. And therefore, we treat every person with dignity because they're in the image of God. We value people of different faiths because they're created in the image of God. This is the reason we value and love people. They're image bearers of God. At West Texas A&M, the university president put out this memo. This is a paraphrase of it. He said, we are not going to host a drag queen show that has been previously scheduled for our campus. And here's why. He said, I'm a Christian. And in Genesis 127, it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We've all been created the image of God. And drag queens demean the image of God in women. I've been married for 50 years, he said, and I have daughters and granddaughters, and we are not going to devalue and demean women on our campus, just like we're not going to devalue and demean black people, and we're not going to demean and devalue anyone else on our campus. Why? Because we've been created in the image of God. We're persons of value for that reason. Inside of this first part of God's story in creation, God also designed marriage. In Genesis 2, 23 through 25, the man said, At last this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked but they were not ashamed. God designed marriage between a man and a woman just as he created in the image of God, male and female. He designed this for companionship and he designed this for for the the wife to be a help, a complement, a fit to the husband is what he describes in Genesis 2. So the two uh, fit together and work together well. The word that's used for help there is the same word that's used for God later, uh, that, that God is our help. Uh, and so it's, a, it's an incredibly dignifying thing that God has done in the way he designed 
marriage. Uh, so in, in, in that uh, context of creation, he designs it, and there's a mystery to it. We don't totally understand why he designed it the way he did until we get to a later part of the Bible, and I'll come to that in a few minutes. But we see his design, and then anytime someone gets outside of that design, it's in opposition to who God is and the goodness of the way he created. Interestingly, Jesus in Matthew 19 was asked a question, and he was asked a question about divorce. And he quoted two scriptures in responding to that question. He quoted Genesis 1.27 about being created in the image of God. And then he quoted Genesis 2.24 about a man and a woman being joined together in that one flesh relationship in marriage. Interesting that Jesus would put together image, man and woman, and marriage together in Matthew chapter 19. This is God's good design. What does it mean to be one flesh? That one flesh union is a coming together of two people. And as Christopher Yuan, who is single, the way he described it as it is the fusion of two people into one. So that the goal of marriage is oneness. And that fusion is not just a physical fusion. It is a oneness that is our emotions it's a relational fusion. Uh, it's a physical fusion. Uh, it's a mental fusion. Everything is coming together as one in that husband-wife relationship. And again, we'll understand why God's design, when we see in Ephesians 5, what his intentions are for marriage. So that is in creation, and, and that is a good story. It is a story where humans flourish, uh, and then children are brought into the context of a home with a mother and a father, uh, which is in contrast to our culture, which has now separated out marriage and separated out sex from marriage and separated out children from marriage. That's contrary to the design that God set up in creation. That's his good story. Now, when we look around, we realize, based on what I just said, uh, that this is not lived out uh, in a number of ways in a number of places. Why is that? Well, we get into the next part of the story, and if you go to the right of God, uh, you see a line that's, that's broken, uh, and we call that the fall. Uh, and in the early part, after creation, sin enters into the world. And now the world's broken. And it's broken in every way. Uh, we end up inheriting, and it's what the scripture call, or what we call from scripture original sin. So that first sin's the original sin. And the way that Christopher Yuan talks about it, it's the original sin that now has been passed down. And we all inherit this sin nature, and it's the original sin by which now we actually all sin. Every person inherits this sin nature. We, we do not inherit a good nature. We inherit a sin nature. And all sin is vile before God. Remember, we started out by saying who God is. He's a holy God. He's perfect in his purity. 
Therefore, any sin is a vile sin against God. It is wicked and it's vile before him. We tend to categorize. We say this sin is worse than this sin. And this sin is worse than that sin. It would be true that consequences are different. It would not be true that, any sin, that this sin is any less vile than this one before a holy God. All of us are vile before God with our sin nature in ways that we've chosen to act on that sin by choice against him. So in this broken world, what's happened is that image of God in us has now been distorted and marred. And the desires that we have have been distorted and marred. And our bodies, the things we do with our bodies, have been distorted and marred and broken. All of this is a result of the fall that happens early on. Now, Christopher Yon was helpful for me in thinking about desire. When is desire godly desire? Because we all have desires. We all have things that drive us and things we want to do with those drives. When is it a godly desire and when is it a sinful desire? And there seems to be some debate out there on are our desires sinful or is it just the action of the desire that's sinful? And I, I think Christopher Young's spot on in what he says. The way to think about our desires is what is the end for which those desires are for? For example, if I'm same-sex attracted and my desire is to have a romantic sexual relationship with someone of the same sex, that is a sinful desire that's been distorted at the fall. If, however, I have a same-sex attraction, if I take me, for example, to another man, and my desire is to have a platonic friendship with him, that is not a sinful desire, that's a good desire. If I'm opposite-sex attracted, and my desire is for a woman that is not my wife, then that is a sinful desire. That desire is sinful as well as the action if I acted on that sin and had sex with another woman. You get that? So our desire, that happened at the fall. The original desires were all good. But now our desires are also broken and we can easily be deceived. Now, one thing that someone said right after Obergefell, that decision by the Supreme Court in 2015 that was helpful for me uh, in processing what was going on, is that all of us are born with a sin nature. Now, that's a contrast to what the culture is saying to us, that we're inherently good. But every person, we're equal in our sin nature. All across the board, we're the same. But we all have different bents or expressions in the way we act out on that sin nature. You may have these four or five that are the things that you act out on or have desires for or do. You may have these five or six. You may have these 10 or 15. But we all have different bents of sin in the way we express them. But we have no room to point a finger because all of us are equal in the sin nature, and we all sin and express that in different ways. 
Now, what are some of those ways? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, uh, we see them uh, expressed. And I, I want to highlight, because we're talking about sexuality and gender, uh, I want to talk about the, the first uh, few that are listed. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, he's talking to the church, believers at Corinth. And he's saying there are some in, our, in the midst of the church that are unrighteous, meaning they've not been declared righteous before God yet. But they're among them, uh, and it might be, uh, he's really just calling into question uh, whether they'll inherit the kingdom of God or not. And then he says, uh, do not be deceived. And I really believe, it's almost like Satan has just laid a blanket of deception across our, our culture. Like when we hear each other talk sometimes, it's like, oh, okay, how did we get here? Well, Satan is a deceiver, and he takes things that are little and that are good, and he distorts them and twists them. And he distorts just a little, and before we know it, we've gotten out here with the distortion. It doesn't take long before we get way away from where we started. So Satan deceives us, and, and I believe today he's deceived us in, uh, in many ways. One of those is that our sexual identity is our primary identity. That's a social kind. We're deciding from within ourselves what our gender is and what our sexual identity is. That's a deception from, the, uh, from, from Satan in uh, trying to get us to see our identity in our sexual identity. So don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. I promised I would come back. I didn't promise. I said I would come back and tell you what that word is. This is probably not trending on TikTok is my guess. Um, the word fornicator uh, means sex before marriage. So it's outside of God's design. It's prior to, uh, to marriage. That could be casual sex. That could be open sex with multiple people. Uh, that could be cohabitation. And cohabitation among people who say they're Christians has really amped up over the last several years. Statistically, we're told... There are 17 million unmarried Americans cohabiting with a significant other. That's up from 6 million two decades ago. But I learn things anecdotally. I learn them as I talk with people, meet with people. And I've just watched that increase over time with people who come to me and, and want me to do their wedding. So cohabitation is, that would be sexual sin against God. And to cohabit and to be having sex together, from what I read in the scripture. That's what fornication is. Uh, one of the things, I don't know if I do it the best or not, but when I, someone comes to me and they want me to do their wedding, I, I'll ask them, and it's, sometimes I don't know one of the persons, usually I don't, and it's a little uncomfortable, because I'll ask them, you know, are, are y'all having sex? You know, are you living together? Um, and then we'll talk about from scripture. Say the reason I'm asking this is if you want me to do the wedding, I would be honored to. Um, but I can't do it if this is what you're going to continue to do up until the wedding, because it it will make what I'm saying. Uh, it, it'll be hard for me to say do what I'm doing with integrity in what I believe this wedding should be. Now. 
I'm great with starting right here. And if you can see this the way God sees it as a sin against him, you repent of that. If you'll move out, not live together, and we'll help you figure out how to do that, uh, then that will be an honor to do it. I've done a number of weddings that way. And it's really cool because they end up flourishing in God's story for them. Now, interestingly, in days past, the girls usually found relief when I said that because they really didn't want to be having sex with him, but they felt like they should be or they had to to keep him. And I would watch relief on their face, and then I would watch the guy get mad at me. Now, he held it. He, I'm the pastor. He needed to be nice in front of me. And then oftentimes people would leave my office and then I would say, just let me know what y'all decide and, you know, I'll be great with how we roll. And, and then they would the oftentimes come back and it's like when they fire a coach today, I would get an email that said we decided to go a different direction. I said, I understand. But I want you to know, I love those two just as much before that visit, in that visit, and whatever it is they decide. My love for them does not change. Now, oftentimes their love for me does. And there's been many a person mad at me that has left the church because of that. But God warns about fornication. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he talks about idolaters. Idolatry and sexual immorality are often tied together. It's when we're treasuring something more than God. Nor adulterers. Adultery, by definition, is someone having sex that is married and having sex with someone else outside that marriage relationship. And then I think what we can include in here fairly would be pornography, uh, either in the fornication or the adultery realm of what we're speaking here. Now remember, desire, what is the end? Well, what is the end for pornography? And pornography is both a female and a male problem. It's not just a male issue. This is a female and a male issue. What's the end game of pornography? That's a desire that is a sinful desire. Then he moves to from opposite sex sin to same sex sin, nor effeminate nor homosexual. So nor effeminate... Uh, in the original language of this would mean the more passive partner in a homosexual relationship. Uh, And then the homosexuals here, it would be the more aggressive partner uh, in that relationship. So there's the whole realm of sexual immorality in this one verse of verse 9. And and it's the whole gamut of this, one doesn't rise above the other. Rosaria Butterfield, is a, she was a lesbian activist in the mid-90s, a professor at Syracuse University, uh, taught queer theory. Uh, she was taken in by a pastor and his wife, and for about five years, she went, read through the Bible seven times, and she finally concluded after the seventh time, I'm on a search for truth. If I'm honest about it, I can't deny anymore that Jesus is the truth. She surrendered her life to Jesus. But she said, I always thought homosexuality was the worst sin. And she said, but I started reading, as I read the Bible, I realized it's not the worst sin. 
Matter of fact, the worst sin she would have said is that it's pride because it's pride that leads to sexual sin. We're talking about the wrong thing when we're talking about the sexual sin. It's actually what's underneath it that's the issue. Christopher Yuan says the same thing in Holy Sexuality. He said, I thought homosexuality was the worst sin. But he said, but what is it in the Bible that's the worst sin? And he's spot on. The only unforgivable sin in the Bible is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit who draws us into salvation with God Himself. And so when we read this, we realize that all of these are sexual sins against God, and we don't want to be deceived. And then he lists a number of other things. You think, okay, well, I got out of that one on the sexual sin. So now it's nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But underneath all of this is that brokenness and sin. These are expressions of that sin uh, that is underneath um, Underneath it, pride and unbelief lead to these things. Now, these are practices of this. You say, what am I supposed to do here? I said, I've, I'm, I'm a Christian and I've done this. The question is a matter of practice. This is who people have become. They've embraced it. They're not fighting against it. They've embraced it. Christopher Yuan talks about this not being someone's identity, though. This is how you are, not who you are. But the big question that we have really is about who we are. Part of the deception today is the ideology of teaching two and three-year-olds that they are non-binary and do not have a gender. There's curriculum developed. A boy with a penis, girl with a vulva, showing two and three-year-olds this is not a boy, and this is not a girl. That's a deception of the enemy. But it's gone all the way down. And the person asked the one driving this curriculum, why are you doing this? Because if we don't get it ingrained in them now, it'll be much harder later for them to abandon the idea of there being a male and a female. There is so much sexual sin all across the board. We don't have fingers to point. We look at the whole. When you look further down at 1 Corinthians 6, I'm not going to read it, but if you read the rest of the chapter, it talks about um, the... When our people come together outside of God's design of marriage, we think it's two bodies coming together. That's how our culture talks about it. It's a power thing in a lot of ways today. Um, but the reality is when the two come together, emotionally everything is coming together. And he warns against having sex with someone outside of who your spouse is. Because every person you do that with, you are fusing yourself with them to your very core. It is not just a physical act. It's warnings. And he says to both singles and married, flee, flee immorality. Flee it. 
Well, this would be a whole lot of bad news and depressing if we had to stop here. But there's more to the story. This is a reality of the story. There's more to the story. There's a redemptive part of the story. So when we look at the grid up there, that next part of the story is the redemption that happens in Jesus Christ. In verse 11 of chapter 6, it says, Such were some of you. Uh, in the 90s, there was a pastor named Dennis Jernigan, a worship pastor, and uh, I think he grew up in a pastor's home, if I remember right, uh, and then later he decided he was gay. He lived that way for a long period of time, came to a place where he didn't believe that was the best spot for him, but he didn't see any way out. And he was reading this passage of Scripture, and he looks at verse 9 and 10, and that would get you down. But then he read verse 11, and there's a verb in there that was totally life-changing for him. It says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of our God. This is what you were. You're not this any longer. For those who believe in Jesus Christ and what he did, crucified himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you're healed. It's through what Christ did that we're brought to God as the mediator. And when we believe what Jesus did for us, there is a total forgiveness. And what it means here is that we're declared righteous. There's an exchange. He takes all of our sexual sin on himself and instead then gives us all of his purity in his righteousness. Oh, it's a beautiful exchange at the cross. There's a redemption for any of us who have had any kind of sexual sin. And so there's a, there's a word that's possible. And then we realize, gosh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe that and still I struggle with these things. You have in you now the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to overcome the struggles. And there will be battles. And I love what Christopher Yuan says. We're not trying to save somebody from being homosexual to heterosexual. I'm not trying to save somebody from being adulterated and not being adulterated. That, don't get me wrong. It's where we would love to see happen. But that's not the primary issue. He said, the primary issue is that you and I are sinners. That's our identity. And until we are rescued by Jesus Christ and come into a relationship with him, then our identity doesn't change. But when we do come and believe Jesus, then our identity changes. Now we're fused to Christ. We're one with Jesus. We, we have our sins taken on him, and then we have his purity uh, poured into and on us. That's a beautiful thing that happens at the cross. And there's forgiveness. And he says our sin is, it's like it's thrown into the ocean. You'll never be able to see it again. He puts it behind his back so that he can't see it. Uh, it's from the east to the west. You can't measure the east to the west. I mean, it's just gone. He's, he, he's the scapegoat. He took it away. And so we're freed in him. Yes, there are battles and yes, there are struggles to come. Uh, someone that uh, is gay, they may still battle same-sex attraction. Someone that uh, lusts after women other than their wives or after men other than their husbands have opposite sex, they may still battle opposite sex attraction. Uh, the scripture says, Paul says, I die daily. Uh, it is a full-on war that's going on. We are a new person in Christ now. And we have a way to wage that war. 
We don't become better versions of ourselves. A better version of ourself is just as bad as the first version of ourself. It still has a sin nature. We don't have that anymore in Christ. We're not a better version of ourselves. We're a new creation in Christ. You're a daughter and you're a son, and you're the son of a king and the citizen of his kingdom. You are invited to his table just as you are to dine with the king. You're not condemned. You're totally accepted before him. You're freed in him. There's joy in him, life in him, peace in him. We have a brand new nature, and then there's that residue of indwelling sin that's going to fight against that new nature. And so we have this war going inside of us between the Holy Spirit who indwells us now in that new nature against that indwelling sin. Every day is a battle. When we awaken, it's a battle. It's a full-on battle. Paul said, I die daily. John Owen, the Puritan, said, kill sin or it'll kill you. Every day we're asking God to mortify and kill the sin in us so it doesn't kill us today. The desires and the actions. And there's a transforming work because now that image of God that was distorted and marred is now made new in Christ. It's a restored image, a restored mind, a restored body in him. That's the beauty of what he did for us at the cross. Now, we have connection points with people when we try to share this message with the person that is struggling with the gender dysphoria. What we can say to them is, you know what? I understand what's happening with you because I know what it is to be broken also. And you recognize something about yourself. But could I share with you a different way than puberty blockers and sex reassignment surgeries to fix the brokenness? And we all have the possibility of Christ transforming us at the cross. And that's actually what will fix what's broken in us. Could we connect there and have that conversation? And then when we think about the way we live life, it's not about ourselves. People will say, you know, you should be able to love who you want to love. And uh, love is love. And, uh, and why can't we just let everybody love whoever they want to love? Well, by definition, that's not God's kind of love. Because God's love gives itself away. And the kind of love God has called us to is Luke 9.23. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a denying of ourself. It's not an indulging of ourself. So when we come to Jesus, we're denying ourselves. We've been crucified with Christ. What then is our purpose? If we're running this through, what would be our purpose? I would say from a... Uh, a bodily perspective and a sexual perspective, a single perspective, a marriage perspective, that our purpose in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 is to glorify God. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So we want to glorify God in every way in our bodies. Holy sexuality to Christopher Yuan means two things from the Bible. From a singleness perspective, it means chastity or abstinence. From a marriage perspective, it means faithfulness to the person I'm married to. From a purpose side, what, for a single person, 
1 Corinthians 7 is a strong chapter on thinking about singleness. Paul said, I actually prefer that everybody was like me that was single. But he recognizes everybody won't be. But to the single person, he says, the way you're a beautiful picture of Christ in the church is to have an undistracted devotion to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.35. For the married person in Ephesians 5 is to be a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. That mystery is revealed uh, that uh, the wife in the marriage relationship is the, is the church and the husband is his Christ. The husband is to lay his life down for his wife as the wife yields and follows the husband. And in that way, we're a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. But both single and married are beautiful pictures of what God is doing in the lives of his people. So our purpose when we think about sexuality and gender is to live out the gender that he's called us into uh, and then uh, to live well in that station of life uh, in which he's called us. The reality also in purpose is how we treat other people. Caleb Coltenbach, in his book Messy Grace describes his story. He was a year old. And his parents divorced. His mom was lesbian. She lived with her partner. The two of them started to raise Caleb. His dad never remarried. At 16 years old, high school Bible study, Caleb goes to it. He ends up following Jesus. At 18 years old, he learns that his dad is gay also. Now he's figuring out, how do I live with a mom and a dad that are both gay when I'm a follower of Jesus and I know the truth of what Scripture says. And he just calls it messy grace. It, it is just messy. And it's going to be a matter of all of us as Christians leaning on the Holy Spirit and discerning with him in a matter of conscience how each of us do different things with different people. With someone in our family, that with a, if someone's brother is gay or someone's child is gay or someone's parent is gay, uh, if someone is uh, trans, you know, what, how, how are we going to respond to that? And it, it might be different, but we want to respond for sure with the love for them. Because what they believe firmly is that from Christians, they're going to be rejected and hated which is often why they won't talk about it, because they fear losing what those relationships are. We want to be a people that build relationships well with people, with gay people, with trans people, with people that are struggling with pornography. And we want to get inside the hurts and the pains of what each person is is in. And at the same time, we don't compromise truth. In John 8, Jesus encounters an adulterous woman, and she'd been trapped by the Pharisees. They were trying to trap him. And she gets paraded out in front of everybody, all the men. And they want to asking Jesus, she should get stoned by the law. And he said, okay, you know, whichever one of you can throw the stone first that hasn't sinned, then you throw it. We'll start with that. Nobody can. They all walk off. So how do we treat someone in sexual sin with dignity and value? 
and we defend them when people are trying to do something to them that's hateful. And then Jesus said, go and sin no more. And we love them enough to help them escape the sin. So we build relationships, trust, so we're able to have those conversations. How else do we live this out? We live it out by having strong Christian community. You know one of the hardest things for a gay person to come out of the gay community is the community is so strong that they don't find that same strength in the Christian community. So we want to be a people that have strong community that walk well, that there's a place for all of us to come in and safely walk inside of these different things. And then as someone said, we want to be people who learn the language, for example, of the gay community. If we'd like to see sometime that someone will actually come to Christ, it would be good for us to get away from terms we want to use and learn the things that will actually help us bridge relationship. So one lady said, if you say out there the homosexual what you'll be received as is irrelevant and a hater. For the sake of the gospel, it's okay to say someone's gay. And the goal will be different with every person. The desire will be different in what we're doing. More than anything, we just want to have real relationship however they respond. That no matter what, I'm in the relationship, I'm going to love you. No matter where we go. You've heard this one, hate the sin, love the sinner, bad idea. A few years ago, Barrett and I were on a ski trip, we did an Airbnb with a man that's gay, we talked about that, and I just watched him get furious, he said, I hate it when Christians say that. Do you know what the problem with that is? A gay person or a trans person that's their identity. It's not a behavior. It's their identity. So when you say hate the sin, love the sinner, you're saying you hate them. Because that's their identity to them. Again, no different than I go to another culture. I'll learn that culture so I can figure out what their language is so I can learn how to bridge and speak the things of Jesus with them. All right. That can be a little uncomfortable. Uh, but for the sake of, of loving someone. And you might do it different. But sometimes I wonder if we've ever had a conversation with a gay person and asked them how they're viewing things. Or with a trans person. Or in other realm, a Muslim person. If I get outside the sexual realm. Have we really had conversations with people and seen the real pain and the real hurt? Not in a way that I change the way I understand God to see it, but a way where I can love someone really, really well. Well, the last piece of this story, and you've been patient with me, but I wanted to be really careful with this topic, and so thank you for that. Uh, but the new heavens and the new earth at the very end, uh, we are moving towards something uh, in the new heavens and the new earth when all this wraps up that every person that has believed Jesus, that we're going to be totally transformed, that image will be totally in sync with who God is and all of who we are, and we're going to live in eternal singleness. 
Marriage is really temporary. But in eternity, there will be an eternal singleness. And our oneness will be with Jesus Christ himself. And we'll be so enamored by him that we won't desire anything else but him in that end. That's where we're headed in the end. Well, if I could uh, just give you a few resources, and uh, I hope you'll work hard at some of these. If they're, uh, So here's some websites if you want to take a picture. Uh, Christopher Yuan, Rosaria Butterfield, I've mentioned them. They, I just find them incredibly helpful. Uh, if you're working in a realm with uh, those who are trans, transgender to transform.com, and then helpforfamilies.org uh, is a helpful site. Uh, for uh, families. Out of a far country is Christopher Yuan's biography with his mother. It's a fascinating story of him and his mom. Uh, Homosexuality, What's the Bible Really Teach About It by Kevin DeYoung. It's great, just strong uh, resource to, to learn what the Bible says. Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, it's her story. Holy Sexuality. Uh, Christopher Yuan also, there's a study guide in this. This would be a great study for a life group. And then he also um, is doing a teen curriculum for private Christian schools and for parents to be able to do uh, with their kids. Transgender's Faith by Walt Heyer uh, is helpful. Messy Grace, Caleb Kaltenbach, I mentioned it. Uh, And then here's one example for children. Uh, And we're going to put more out there to all of our parents this week of how to help with your children uh, and preschoolers. So hopefully some of those will be helpful. They'll be on our website, so if you didn't get that and you're interested, you can find them. Father, thank you for uh, our time. And uh, it's beautiful to be able to sing your praises this morning, uh, to see life that's been transformed in obedience and baptism. Uh, it's cool to see your design for sexuality, gender, um, and then, God, for ways to help us when we're broken in those realms. Uh, so, God, help us to be gracious, compassionate with one another. Help us to be loaded uh, with grace uh, and anchored in truth. Uh, and, Father, that we just patiently love people uh, in the way we're called to love in any given moment. If it's uh, with things that might be hard or if it's things that uh, we just need to listen for a bit, um, Whatever it is, God, will you help us have a sensitivity to yourself uh, to, to be able to walk well with the sexually broken, um, which, shoot, it's probably all of us. Uh, so help us even just to have people walk well with, with ourselves. And, uh, and so we thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for your goodness today and your forgiveness and uh, the freedom that you bring and the life that you offer. I pray in Jesus' name. If we could, maybe just be quiet for a minute or so, and then we'll wrap up uh, with, uh, with a couple of things. But um, I, I hope this conversation will continue in life group. It'll continue in your families, uh, and that that we can just be a really safe place, and there might be transformative dialogue.